What will be important from Indiana's veteran players this season? Jay Rigdon and I break it all down. The 30-plus guys, TJ McConnell, Buddy Heel, Daniel Tice, what to watch for them on the court. It's coming today on the Locked On Pacers podcast. You are Locked On Pacers, your daily Indiana Pacers podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Happy Friday, everybody. Made it through the week. Congrats and welcome into another edition of the Locked On Pacers podcast, where we, of course, talk about the Indiana Pacers, as always. My name's Tony East. I cover the team for Forbes and SI, and today we're asking questions about the Pacers veteran players, specifically their over-30 crew of Buddy Heald, Daniel Tice, and TJ McConnell, and more specifically on the court questions, because a lot of the chatter about those guys this summer has been about off-court stuff, extensions, contracts, will they be on the team, won't they be on the team, all sorts of stuff that is important to discuss, but has less to do with actual basketball today, is more about actual basketball, asking questions of those three guys, and Jay Rigdon, friend of the show, always on with Awful Announcing, and the Fried Egg is going to join us to break it all down next week, back talking about preseason hoops. We're looking forward to that. Zach Pearson is going to join us for our next show. But until then, let's ask questions of the Pacers veteran. Jay Rigdon is here. Pacers preseason basketball is flying. And it is time to, one, peek behind the curtain. And, two, talk about a topic that I've been wanting to talk about for a while. And that is veterans on the Pacers. They have three guys over 30. In fact, they have three guys over 27, which is crazy. And Buddy Heald, TJ McConnell, and Daniel Tice. There's been a lot of chatter about these guys throughout the summer. But a lot of it is not related to their actual ability to play basketball. For Daniel Tice, I suppose Germany counts as playing basketball. But it's, does he actually have a future with this team? Why did they keep him? For TJ McConnell, it was all about the Sun stuff. And should he actually be playing or should Andrew Nemhart be playing? And for Buddy Heald, obviously, it was about the contract stuff. And that's fitting because I actually had this topic down as the idea to do the day the Buddy Heald news came out. So this has been sitting and cooking for about four weeks now, um, but a lot has happened since this idea came into my head. So today, we're diving into the actual basketball court to talk about these vets who have all played in the preseason. Jay, first of all, thank you for letting me talk for a minute about nothing before you start. How you doing? Have you enjoyed the preseason hoops, or are you not a preseason consumer? Uh, a little of both. I've watched it. Uh, it's, you know, I liked having basketball back. That's fun. Uh, but it's, you know... There's diminishing returns at a certain point for NBA preseason. The overtime preseason is too much even for me. Even I was like, Margo, my, my fiance was working right next to me for that game. And uh, I was like, please, God, somebody score at the end of regulation. That was, uh, that was not for me. I don't know who that was for. Yeah, the preseason, they should bring like three guys from each team to play knockout or something. That should be how they settle <laughs> overtime. But. No, they do They do the sudden death one hoop for Summer League. Like, just do right. that. Something. One basket. Yeah. Have fun or with like, yeah, no that one wants overtime to. where if it's the first possession, you get it. You can respond. Like, it's, mm-hmm. like who is this for? It's, it's, uh, it's a bunch of guys that will not be impacting regular season basketball very much. Either way, guys who will potentially be impacting regular season basketball for the Pacers are their veterans. We will go alphabetically here starting with buddy healed uh and obviously there's a lot of questions about his on-court role because it does not appear that he will be starting in fact matherin has not only been starting in preseason but has played well enough in that role obviously halberd hasn't played but has played well enough that i'd assume he's going to keep that spot into the regular season and so buddy healed will be with the second unit what do you have questions about for buddy healed this season jay yeah, so my question for Buddy uh, is actually, will his role at the start of the year be his role at the end of the year? Ooh, that um, is a good one. Yeah, so like, I think 
it makes sense from an organizational standpoint, looking at all the assets involved and the fact that Matherin was good last year and is a key part of the franchise and to, to and to, you have to see, I think that makes sense. I get, I get everything that they're doing right now, but like if they roll out there and it's not going well, or if, you know, another player isn't fitting in and they feel like the way to unlock Halliburton more is to have healed on the court more directly with him. Like, is that something they would consider shuffling around or changing by the end of the year? Um, and like, I guess technically to kind of sneak in this in, but is his role still on the Pacers at the end of the year? Like, is he still on the team at all by then? So I think that's kind of fascinating to see how he fits in here. Yeah. The latter part is certainly a part of that question, but that's also not on the court. So we're not talking, we're not talking about that today, but that is certainly a relevant part of it too, because like if the starting lineup is awesome without him, then he becomes more expendable to them. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, that probably means his value wouldn't be as high. And the other part of it is, there could be a re, uh, oh my gosh, we have to change Buddy Heald's role discussion. That has nothing to do with how Buddy Heald plays. It could just be like, oh, this starting backcourt is not working at all. And then the discussion is, is it Bruce Brown that has to go to the second unit? Is it Matherin, right? Like there's a lot of, of follow-up that would come from that. But I certainly think that's possible because it kind of overlaps with my question too, which is a lot about Halliburton and him being separated a little bit. But in terms of what his role is, like especially if, He's the shooter with the second unit. Like they might need him to create a little bit. Like he had nine assists. Obviously, guys are he he. he uh, Rick Carlisle told us at practice today that Buddy Hill's letting him know that he had nine assists in that game. Certainly, so uh, we'll we'll see about his passing as the season progresses. But like, does his role evolve in that way too? Right? Does he go from more of um, the shooter type he was last year? Like, if you're playing with Tyrese Halliburton, you're not going to distribute very much on the Pacers, which is smart. He's the best one on the team. If you're Buddy Hill, are you suddenly evolving in your role a little bit, right? Right when he got traded to the Pacers, he was doing a little bit more of that passing rebounding stuff that everybody was like, oh, wow, he didn't do any of this with the Kings this year. So I'll be curious both what lineup he stays in. I imagine he'll be with the bench for most of the season, but we'll see. And if his actual, like what he's doing on the floor, I don't think he's going to play point guard, but I think he could be asked to secondary create a little bit more if they need it. Yeah, if he's playing with the second unit, I think that makes a lot a lot more sense that he'll have to, um, just based on what's going on. I think the other thing it's it's interesting. He's kind of like a he's kind of like a signal here for what they're trying to do. Like clearly, they're trying to get better on defense. Um, I, that's why they went out and got a guy like Bruce Brown. That's why he's in the lineup, and that's why there's maybe not room for it because they kind of view that as you know he's not. A, a positive defender. He's not a positive defensive player at the NBA level as a starter. But if these changes that they're trying here to start the year, like if it just kind of results in less or worse offensive play all around and the defense doesn't get brought up to match that or exceed that, like then you're kind of just like limiting your strength a little bit. And it kind of met for some rotation changes that way too. And maybe, you know, I don't know. That's just something I'm keeping an eye on. Whenever a team tries to like make big, big sweeping changes to one side of the ball that might impact other sides. Like that's yeah. kind of what I try to follow. But. Especially because if the ball doesn't go in as much defense is by default harder. You're in transition mm -hmm. more Jay, your live reaction, Dylan Brooks, fine. $25,000 for hitting Daniel Tice in the, uh, you know what? <laughs> yeah. So, uh, that seems pretty clear cut to me. Uh, that was a very, it's almost like he wanted to try to get thrown out of that game. To that make was so Brooks like <laughs> statement. Like, yeah. And then, uh, I had we had I had the Rockets broadcast on this and the way I could watch it and it's the the way they defended it immediately it's like oh you know I love it they love to see it it's like really you love to see a guy get tossed five minutes in for basketball play shot. obviously yeah yeah clearly like I get yeah I, I know that's he has I don't know man like what do you think that seems about right it's oh yeah 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 like 
<laughs> I was like, well, oh, he might get ejected. We'll see. It's a preseason game, so the standards are a little different, but whatever. Right. Yeah. Okay. My healed question is pretty similar. Um, not entirely. And mine is just about what can you do without Tyrese Halliburton? And the lesser discussed part of this, the inverse. How is this going to affect Ty on the court as well? Right. You can go back through the stats last year. Um, when healed played without Tyrese Halliburton, his three-point percentage was below 40%, so about 4% worse than his season average. It's, it was still a good number, to be clear, but it was worse, right? The Pacers would just heal no Halliburton. Their offense cratered down to 111.4 offensive rating from 119.7 when they are both out there. Now, that being said, lineups with just Tyrese Halliburton and nobody healed had a good offensive rating, but a god-awful defensive rating, which doesn't make a lot of sense, just given what we know about these players. But still, like they do have a relationship with each other that is a part of this. Now, granted, the Halliburton no healed minutes were one less than 400 minutes, and two opponents shot 40% from three in those minutes. That will change. But I have questions about healed without Halliburton, what that looks like. And I think I get a sense that it'll just be a little more structured than what he's used to, which is fine. He's he hasn't looked out of place in the preseason. He just hasn't made his shots. But I also am curious what this is going to look like for Tyrese Halliburton. How does that change what he can do? The the best early offense tandem in the league. Is being one maybe not that that's a stretch. One of the best early offense tandems in the league is being split up, and for good reasons. But does that mean Tyrese Halliburton won't be as effective or won't be able to do some of the things he does? I don't think so, given the way he reads the game and given what he did for Team USA. But I don't know, and that's a question I have about Buddy Hield and what it means for one of his best partners in the league. Yeah, I think that's very valid. Um, Tyrese is clearly going to be here for a while, and so I. I think that it makes sense. The team would maybe try to look and see at lineups without buddy to see like, what does that look like? Did, did they need to like prioritize keeping him around even in a bench role, be able to slot him in. Like if he really does unlock another level of Tyrese or does it just change the type of player even that they go after to put around Halliburton? Um, the other thing I know that like the Pacers don't run, like you mentioned this yesterday, I believe that Pacers don't run a lot of sets offensively. They rely on Halliburton's feel and ability to kind of like create and chaos and have people getting in the right spots and healed is uh, really good at that. Um, he is very good in a lot of ways. He also bails out a lot of possessions effectively. <laughs> and I think that's like a real key to have out there with Halliburton. It's it'll be interesting to see like whether his play can kind of like work with, you know, a Nemhard led second unit perhaps, or whether right. Halliburton can kind of find that kind of connection with a player like Bruce Brown, who's also a really good field player and has a lot of those kind of instincts as well. Plus Mathern, of course, alongside it. So yeah, it's definitely going to be the, the push and pull there and how they also find minutes to get them together. If he'll doesn't start like how that affects just the rotation timing yeah. will be also be interesting and to see if he'll closes even too, which I'm sure he probably will sometimes, but it might be more situational. Yeah. Agreed. I think he will close if they're like behind, mm -hmm. uh, if they're ahead, that's obviously a different question for different reasons, but you know how they, I think he's going to be the first sub for sure. Like uh, it's hard to make an argument for anybody else, but like, is it for Matherin? Is it for Bruce Brown? How do you keep them together as long as possible? Like, you just sub peeled out again before Halbert. And there's a lot of tough right. combination questions to ask there, but their relationship together isn't just like, well, this will make yield worse. It's also like, Hey, Tyrese Halbert a part of this discussion as well. And I think that's been even by me overlooked until diving into the numbers just now. Hey guys, quick little break here. So I can talk to you about the great people over at FanDuel snap into NFL action this season with FanDuel America's number one sportsbook. NFL is rolling. And right now new customers on FanDuel can get a $200 Bonus bets guaranteed. All you got to do is place a single $5 bet 
Win or lose, you'll get $200 in bonus bets. If you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there's no better time to get in on the action than right now. NFL's rolling. NBA is about to start. Playoffs for baseball are flying by, and the app is super easy to use. There's a wide range of betting options, including spreads, player props, over-unders, and more on FanDuel. And you can get $200 in bonus bets just by placing that $5 bet. So visit FanDuel.com slash LockedOn to do the deal and kick off the NFL season at FanDuel, an official partner of the NFL. Let's go to Mr. Fun Man, who NBA GMs are saying could be a, a great head coach one day. If you want to listen to the GM survey podcast, that was yesterday. Broke down every Pacers inclusion on that list. TJ McConnell, the oldest Pacer by nine days. I'm sure. I hope Daniel Tice is giving him crap for that. I don't know if he is, but the nine day difference is certainly funny. So Tice survives another day, not as the oldest Pacer. My TJ McConnell question is, can he survive or be useful in two point guard lineups? Um, not because I think that they should be exploring those, but that would give him way more ways to get on the floor if he is the 11th guy this year, right? Last year, they actually had a decent amount of time with both McConnell and Halliburton, like um, almost as many minutes as Halliburton, 250 minutes to be exact. Uh, it wasn't like offensively, it was fine. Defensively, it was (laughs) God awful. Um, so not something I would think they would like totally explore, but two guys who can pressure the rim together. That makes sense to me. Opponents hit 60% of their twos when it was Halberton and McConnell out there together. That's uh, terrible. So they're going to have to be better on the defensive end. But like McConnell can shoot a little bit now. Does that actually influence their ability to think about pairing him with another point guard? The Nemhard McConnell units last year had a pretty good offense. 116.6 offensive rating, small sample, 352 minutes, uh, and a little better defense, but not great. Although that group gave up a 42.44% three-point percentage, which is unbelievable and obviously not sustainable at all. So part of me thinks, like, if you can just drive to the basket and make, like, what did McConnell make last year, like 40% of his threes? It's not like a thing. He's not a shooter. He doesn't shoot enough, but, like, good enough. And you can guard like you're not subtractive. Obviously, he's very limited to the number of players he can guard because of his height. But McConnell can have more utility to this team, even if he's the 11th man, if if they're willing to play him with Halliburton or Nemhard. So I'll be curious from a question perspective if the Pacers can play him with other guards. Yeah, I think that's kind of when you have three point guards who are all deserving of playing time. That's kind of how it has to work, right? Like most NBA teams aren't going to go three point guards deep isolated so Nemhard obviously played a lot off the ball last year so he can do that as well uh it, it almost makes more sense like from a matchup standpoint like maybe that's what the Pacers do at least to start the year in a lot of ways but like against like a team with like a smaller point guard or a smaller backup point guard who's you know kind of, that makes a lot of sense to get McConnell in there to play defense right. alongside Halliburton uh maybe in like a bench lineup that way um and to be able to like still push the pace offensively you get Tyrese off of that like you know smaller faster point guard and you help everything that way theoretically you kind of let mcconnell be his normal chaos agent steel generating self for however many bursts he has um i think his shooting improvement is important i don't I, that's the only way i think it's a conversation is because last year a very limited attempts he's never going to be a volume shooter in any way uh and you don't want that but if he can be like respectable and even if he doesn't like even if he doesn't influence spacing because he doesn't hit enough, if you can, he, in limited minutes, if he can come in and hit two threes, like in those possessions, that's still going to be a huge boost. Um, even if they don't end up guarding him differently because of that, like you're still winning those minutes and he's still like a winning basketball player. And like, that's, I think what's going to be interesting to watch. So funny to talk about his shooting. Cause like, it was an obvious thing. He made threes. They went in. Do you know how many threes total he made last season? Uh, less 30, 26. 
Okay. No. <laughs> very close. Very good. Um, yeah, like they go in. That does matter. But like if you're <laughs> it's one every three games, like teams aren't mm. going to care about that, no. even though I do think it matters a little bit. Like when he takes them now, he's taken a couple of this preseason. I'm not like, oh, what? Why? You know, it's like, oh, OK, I guess if you can make it, go for it. But it's not like that influential. It's just a confidence thing, I think, for him and the team giving him the ball in the perimeter and spacing him if they have to. But if he and and Hal Burton is a decent enough off ball guy, if they need it for like two possessions, and Nemhard shot well enough last year and played off the ball quite often, so I have no doubt that that part of it makes sense. It's can they pair TJ and them for even about the same minutes as last year and be confident in it? Because then, I mean, we've already I've talked about this ad nauseum, but like Nice or not Nice Smith, Wara and McConnell and Shepard all can make arguments for like, hey, if there's an injury, I should be the first guy who gets the time. Maybe the answer is TJ McConnell. I think that has been an under-discussed part of him. But uh, I also get why they would say, eh, nah, <laughs> we'd rather roll with our kids. We'll see. But he's done well in that way. What is your TJ McConnell basketball question this season? Yeah, uh, mine kind of goes back to when he first came to the Pacers, which is, can anyone play well enough to keep him off the court? <laughs> um, because it's never happened. He's That's not happened yet. When I remember his first year, obviously, was the Aaron Holiday versus TJ McConnell debate. And it was like, yeah. what, two games, maybe half before McConnell was in the rotation over Aaron Holiday <laughs> as the backup point guard. So like. And this year, it's probably the hardest one, like the hardest year for me to see how he gets minutes, I think, in that way since then, because it'd be like um, and. I think the Neesmith element is the key to me. Uh, he has looked pretty solid in preseason. I don't want to overrate preseason minutes in different ways, but like he was always to me, like with looking at the roster and that crunch Neesmith versus McConnell for that last spot always seemed like the most likely thing to happen. Um, and so Great. I think based on what they all do, like if Neesmith is, you know, playing solid defense and not getting in foul trouble in whatever role he's in and can really add like, you know, second unit scoring like he can or seemingly might be able to, then I think that really does become harder for McConnell to do it and get it, get minutes that way. But I think that's kind of the key, like, cause we know what McConnell can do. Right. And so like, it kind of depends on like what the Pacers view is like the baseline above him. And if nobody's beating him out and they're serious about the competition that they seem to be serious about, then it's hard for me to see, you know, like that's kind of, that's the variable to me for him this year. I agree uh, for sure. It's I, I just went back to the very first game to check. Aaron Holiday got in with 2.22 to go in the first quarter uh, that year of McConnell's first year with the Pacers. McConnell got in in the second quarter. <laughs> so, <Yeah. laughs> with about a minute to go. <laughs> so, <laughs> the Nate McMillan uh, experience there. Yeah, he was not last for, And that was the right choice. Aaron Holiday was not ready for heavy ball handling minutes, and that team was trying to win. Um, and he turned out to be an okay off ball guard for them that year. But this year, it's a little different in the resources they have and the goals that they have and in contract status and who else is waiting in the wings. Yeah, but that is certainly possible. And I think I, I talked about this a lot with their additions, right? Obviously, they needed defense more than anything. They got Bruce Brown. That's why they did that. But like to me, a big part of what the Pacers have kind of needed is somebody who when Tyrese Halberton's not in the game, right? Halberton can shoot, attack the rim and pass, right? No one else is going to be able to do it like he can. Maybe not even in the NBA. But someone who can kind of do all three doesn't make them sacrifice their identity as much when he's not in the game. And last year, McConnell was the best of anyone they had at actually doing that, right? And so if they identify that he is again, perhaps that's a reason to play him because he can put pressure on the basket. He's okay enough at making shots, not even just threes, but just like that little eight-foot fadeaway that somehow he's the only guy in the NBA who can make more than half the time. 
and he can obviously pass, that maybe he's the answer again that they need to play. But the the other hurdle to this is Bruce Brown could be could be that guy, right? They have tried that in the preseason. Some of that's necessity because they didn't have Nemhard or Halliburton so far. But Bruce Brown's played a lot of adjacently point guard when McConnell's out of the game with these early rotations. And he's definitely a better shooter than McConnell, despite the percentage being different. He actually takes threes. <laughs> he can pass a little bit and like run a pick and roll. He's not putting like isolation pressure on the rim, but maybe he's the answer. And then it's not TJ McConnell, but if it still is TJ, that's their second best guy at doing those things. then maybe he is the answer, but that obviously has a lot of ripple effects on who else is playing. So barring a trade or a waiver, I find it hard to believe they would change their priorities as fast as they did five years ago, but I was surprised then too. So I cannot rule it out. He always finds a way to be a crucial player. Yeah, you can't really count him out. Like he's going to do TJ McConnell things whenever you drop him in there. And so whether it's here and like, he's kind of also assuming like the veteran leadership role, they've specifically had guys in there for yes. in recent years. It kind of seems that way. Uh, so that'll also be a, a key element to the team. It's why, I don't know. It's it's so interesting. It, 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 I have a hard time imagining they're going to go game by game and like really change their rotation. <laughs> Maybe that's what they have to do. Like, I don't know. Like it'll be like uh, they have a lot of guys. They do have a lot of guys and a lot of guys <laughs> that deserve to play for yes. some reason or another. Yeah. And they can't play that many guys. Mm-hmm. And that is a recipe for a tough job for Rick Carlisle this season. You know who else that's a tough job for? Veterans of the team like TJ McConnell, who will have to put on a brave face and be a leader, even if he's a guy who doesn't get minutes, which is a little harder than when you're playing every night. And part of, to me, his value as a leader in the past is that he talks about playing hard and talks about doing all the things right. And then he goes out and plays hard and does all the things right. Well, that changes a little bit if you're not playing, right? I think there is a difference in voice from vets who play and vets who don't. And that's not a, to say one is better than the other or anything like that. It just changes how you lead. So I think that will be something for McConnell, even though I did not include that in my part because <laughs> do you, being a leader in a locker room does not necessarily not on court. Hit fit the on the court stuff, although it does. It, it does. I guess that should count, shouldn't it? I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, is he on the court if he's on the bench? Like, I don't know. Like, it's like, <laughs> that's true. It's, if he's front, an extra front of the bench. Hardwood. Yeah, yeah. I can see that. Um, yeah, and I think oh, they're thinking for him. My answers. All right. Could, yeah. Might he'll be a hype man when the starters are in and you're not, right? Does that count? Yeah, I've just been looking for loopholes since you proposed this topic <laughs> to me all night. So I've gotten two in so far. I'm hoping for a third. Practice on, but, on a basketball court. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Well, the same thing for him. I, McConnell, I think he's from what I, I'm not inside the locker room. I don't know. But like from everything I, I read and heard, he can do both. Like he leads with his play on the court and he's a solid like locker room presence in that way, too. But so it not playing, it would kind of take away some of what he can do in that role. But like if the other players are playing well and deserve to be out there and make more sense for the timeline, then that's just what he's going to have to do. I right. guess. So I'm not in the locker room, like in the trenches. Right. So like, I don't know what like hardcore pep talk kind of stuff happens. TJ McConnell is like a goofy, lighthearted leader. And that's always like well-received. But at the same time, like at a halftime of a game where you just got your butt kicked and you're down 13, like that requires a different voice. And I don't, I, maybe he can do that. I don't, I don't know. I'm not there, but no, that is where like James Johnson being like, I'm not going to repeat things that I assume James Johnson says, but you know, that is where that kind of leader I think is valuable. I think, I don't know what TJ is like in those settings, but he might have to be more vocal there. I think Miles Turner is going to have to take a step there as well. Jay, how's your German? Uh, not good. 
Non-existent it's, would be my Yes, yes. I uh, can count to five, I think. Don't make me do it, though. Five? Yeah. Uh, I can get to one. I think I just got to five in my head, but I don't want to do it out loud. Please, you, this was not, I was not prepped for this in any way. Like you're, That's like, good. Come on. The world champ, Daniel Tice, the starting center without Miles Turner. Impossible to say what the rotation stuff means in the preseason, but I have questions about what he can be this season. So do you, what is your question for Mr. Daniel Tice this season? Yeah. So my question, and I, you might penalize me for this one too, is going to be like, what will his role and his minutes tell us about what the team wants to do? Um, I think this, he's like kind of like the ultimate litmus test player for me between you have like players all off season talking about how they want to make the playoffs. They're looking to win. And then you had Chad Buchanan kind of come out preseason and kind of, you know, push back, not push back on that necessarily, but definitely a lot less committed to that idea. And I get setting expectations and I get why they wouldn't want to do that. I totally understand. But based on the transactions they've made, it really seems like they've scoped everything to try to maintain future flexibility while still maximizing what they can do this year without sacrificing future flexibility. And Tice kind of feels like the old, the, the test of this than seeing what he does. Because if you really want to win basketball games right now, like if that's your main goal, then Daniel Tice as the backup five, based on everything we saw this summer and everything we've seen from guys like Jalen Smith and Isaiah Jackson, feels like the right call. And so if you have Daniel Tice out there and you're fitting him in and he's playing his like, you know, veteran quality, smart backup center minutes, and that would look, you know, I know he's a different type of player than the other three bigs they have really. Uh, then that tells me that they are trying to win and they're going to take a look at that. And maybe that changes throughout the year. If you know, the team doesn't win games, then maybe Tice loses a bit of that role. But if you start the year and he's on the bench, not playing like third or fourth center, then what does that say? You know, like, it's like, what does that say about what the patients are trying to do and really trying to, to focus on? And so I think like how he plays and, Maybe he starts the year and plays well enough to hang on to those minutes, or maybe he starts the year and plays well enough to be showcased and moved, which also feels like something that could happen given their log jam at a position where most teams don't have this many uh, rotation caliber ish bigs. Like, I don't know. It's he's kind of just like the ultimate variable to me. And a lot of the, it feels like a lot of stuff the Pacers might do this year and long term kind of center around like Tice to me, which is wild to think about because he's not, he was a throw in in the Brogdon trade. And it's like, just the circumstances have like led to this where he's like this weird, like linchpin player versus development versus win now. And like what that says, but like, yeah, go ahead. No, he's also my poster for that decision. So like I've been thinking about what Chad said, right. And, and part of it to me is like, I did this too. This isn't to, to dump on anyone. This is to dump on the discourse in general. It's like, it's almost like when he said, Oh, we're still thinking about our long-term future, right? Because that's what they were talking about a lot last summer. It's almost like that was them saying, like, no, we're not trying to win. That's how it was pitted. And I don't think that's true. Like, I think you can do both. And I think the nature of their team being so inexperienced is part of that. So I kind of think that both was the implication, but it's the front office's job to err long-term with their decision-making. And so... That still makes your point exactly right because the decision-making for the long-term play would be a younger big who could be your backup big long-term. Now, there's a chance, there's, there's the subtle chance, Kalen, you know, brought this up as like, what if none of them are? What if none of these guys are your backup big long-term? And then you would definitely just prioritize the short-term and that's where Tice would certainly probably be 
Certainly, probably. Uh, that's where Tice would probably be the guy you pick to be your backup five. So I 100% agree that he will be maybe the poster child for this choice. And and one part of me wants to say, well, they put him with starters on Tuesday. And another part of me wants to be like, well, Rick really likes keeping his units together. And so maybe he wanted Isaiah Jackson with the backups. I don't know. But I agree that he is definitely there. If, if you're just talking, putting this player on the court is the best win probability for the Pacers at backup five. The answer is Daniel Tice, I think. And you saw the things he can do well in the World Cup. Um, there are fit stuff to talk about. And hey, I will get to that in a second. But um, the long-term, short-term thing is interesting because it still matters here. But I think they are both tangible goals. I also think it makes it harder to make your decisions from a team-building perspective, like this discussion we're having, and with trades and contract stuff. So there's a lot of layers to it. But I agree that he is going to be the face of the Pacers direction, which is so crazy to say. Yeah, uh, the fact that he's still on the team is interesting to me too, based on this roster crunch they've had. I mean, when they acquired uh, Tice as part of that deal, like they were still trying actively to get Jalen Smith supposedly to play the four. That didn't go well. Isaiah Jackson doesn't play the four uh, clearly. So they've they're and and yet they're going into the season with four guys on the roster who only play the five now, kind of. And so that's kind of the interesting aspect to me. And so like if Tice isn't going to play. Like that's a fascinating use of that roster spot, I guess. And like, uh, like it's also like he does fit differently with different players. He's a different type of big than other guys. I think his feel for like pick and roll game. I've, I actually been interested to watch him play with Andrew Nemhard with the second unit. I think that would be kind of fascinating. They'd be a, a good pairing pace wise. Uh, he's less of Nemhard's less of like a hectic like push the pace guy of Halliburton's uh, skill set as a point guard. He's kind of more of like a get to your spot, run the offense kind of player. And like, I could see him doing a lot of stuff with Tice in ways that, you know, other bigs on the roster can do that really interests me. I'd like to see that pairing. Um, I also kind of feel like with a vet player like Tice, it's almost easier to start the year with him in a role, even if you're not sure which way you're going. And then as the season goes, if you have to prioritize younger, you're not doing well. It's almost easier to like go to a younger player at that point than it is to like keep a veteran bought in for half the year and then have to like dust him off halfway through the year. <laughs> and maybe and maybe Tice isn't like that. I don't know. Like I, I, he might be a quality team presence guy who understands what's happening. But if I'm him, like with my contract situation, I probably want to be playing. Like he yes. has like maybe like one more NBA contract to earn here. Like if he's going to be buried fourth on a depth chart for a team that's only in like the play in lower end playoff race. Like that's not where I'd want to be if I was him. So like, that's another variable to consider. I think it's safe to say every player in a contract year would like to play about 2,500 yes. minutes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, I agree with basically all of that. Uh, the, with him still being on the team, right? Like to me, he currently as it stands does not have positive trade value. Like no one's like, let's give up future picks, even if they're crummy for Tice. But he's on a contract in the current CBA is also not a negative value deal. And he's like useful as a backup five. The Celtics like want him all the time. I don't know if they do right now, but like they've wanted him back in the past. Like he still is valuable to teams. The Bulls wanted him when they were good. The Rockets wanted them when they were still trying to be good. That was three years ago, but like he has value as a winning player in the right scenario. So I think he's probably just like a neutral value contract. And that you can't, it's like you can't just flip those. It's not like there's another team with another similarly salaried neutral value contract. That's like, Oh, let's just trade them. Like that doesn't happen. That's right. not a thing. So to me, the re like just cutting him, if you're the Pacers, well, you lose the chance to include him in a bigger trade where his salary is important, or maybe he is your backup five. Like there are more ways that ha keeping him helps you than just cutting him or dumping him for nothing hurts you. So I think that makes sense. I suppose 
Now, come February 10th, if the deadline has passed and he's still on the team and they're, I'm making this up, but, you know, 20 and 25, yeah, okay, think a little differently about it at that point. But as it stands right now, I get why, even though I think exploring what, it, you know, what would have been out there for him could have made some sense. And he'll be, you know, I'm sure if there's some center injuries or light depth teams come February, there'll be some interest, but what that looks like will be interesting to see. And if he plays, my question for him on the floor, can he adapt to faster pace? And I know I've talked about that with him a lot, but that's the fit concern with him. And I know he joked this, he was kidding, but it was funny when he was like, man, I'm only like, when he returned, he's like, I'm like, give me a play five minutes because my God, this team's so fast. I'm going to be panting, you know, and that he didn't say exactly that's paraphrasing, but like, that's a thing for him. Uh, is he's always played in slower pace systems. His style certainly lends to like take our time, set a screen, run a play, run some timed action where I'm catching and turning and here go the cutters. Okay, I'm ready. Okay, I pitch to this guy. And like he's good at that stuff and that stuff's important and that stuff can be positive on offense, but that is also very much not <laughs> how the Pacers played last year. So can they blend those things and make him as effective as possible without sacrificing their identity to any extent? Just... I've said this stat before. Last year, only one player had a pace lower than Tice on the team. It was Gabe York. He played 43 minutes. So that doesn't really count, does it? Um, (laughs) No. Tice Tice only played 109, so I suppose that doesn't count either. But the pace with him on the floor was lower than anybody. Uh, The second lowest was O'Shea Brissett, and it was significantly different. And then if you look at difference in pace in terms of the team slowing down the most on versus off, Tice was fourth on the team. York first. That doesn't count. Turner was second, which is interesting. O'Shea Brissett third and Tice fourth, and Brissett and Tice overlapped quite a bit. So can he speed up like, or is he is he going to be able to be as good as he can be if it's the random action stuff, if it's quick decision making that he's not setting a screen or you know, whatever he has to do, and especially defensively, can he be disruptive in that way too? Because flying in transition, like Turner being at least quick enough is important. So can he adapt and speed up? in a way that makes him a blended fit with this team? Or is he going to be really helpful in the half court, but not so helpful at the thing the Pacers want to be the best at this year? Yeah, it's kind of just because he was on the team for all of last year, and we still have such a little idea of like what he looks like with <laughs> some of the team's top players and different roles. It's He does things that are important to do. Like You can see why he's like a top-level like backup center for like a winning-type team. That's how he has the contract he has. Like He does like his, his rebounding and his... Post like it's just being being a solid post defender who is strong and can do that. Like you can like especially as a backup, you can. That's a valuable thing to have, and the Pacers don't always have that. And like I'm curious about the pace too. Like I don't know if he could like develop into like a Kevin Love like hit ahead type passer if that's something he has in his game <laughs> as like a rebounder on one end. Like get out that way. Like that could be one way to like make it work. He does seem to have a good feel for passing um, and like a right. good touch and like he has a good sense of like. Uh, what comes next and good read. And I think he could probably speed things up a little bit that way. And he's a decent ish screener. I'm not pretending to be a huge Daniel ties expert, but like watching him this summer and like watching what he did uh, for, for the German team, like you can kind of see how it works and could work in a role, but is it a role that the Pacers really need though is the other thing. And so like, I'm not exactly sure how that looks for him, but I do think like he, I would be interested in seeing it. Like I would, I'm like the preseason so far, I would have liked to have seen him with either Halliburton or Nemhard a little bit, just to kind of see how that works. Uh, And there's limited value in preseason stuff, but even just being able to like see how five guys on the floor move while they're out there together. That would be nice. 
So for reference, his assist per 36 last year was exactly the same as Jordan Wara and like barely under Buddy Heald. Not that either of those guys are good passers, but like they move the ball better than than some people do. And so Tice is like that level of ball mover, like getting guys open with Germany. He was just like, yes, give me the ball in the short roll. I will get it to our best players. So I don't, I'm not calling him like some assists are dribble handoff assists, which they're still skilled to that. They're just different. So he is valuable in some ways. It's just, are those ways the best for the Pacers? What does that look like? These three will be interesting. <laughs> we can talk about the on-court stuff, and we will uh, a lot. But look, if they're a team thinking long-term, um, 30-year-olds on expiring contracts, in McConnell's case, sort of expiring, have different value to you, potentially. And their next oldest player is Miles Turner, who turns 28. I got his age wrong earlier on this show. Next March. So they are a younger team. What these guys look like when two of them have expiring deals and one has half guaranteed next year matters. How they play and what it looks like for the team. So I'll be very interested to see how they answer these questions and how the Pacers determine their long-term future with all three. Yep, same here, Tony. It's uh, interesting to watch. They all have a... We can learn a lot by what happens with all of them this year, I think. People, look at... If you're watching on YouTube, look at me for a second. If all three of these guys get traded this season, I am older than every Pacer. Me! (laughs) That's crazy! That's that doesn't make sense. I'm not ready for that. This hurts, Tony, because as you know, uh, I told you I am already older than all of the Pacers for the first time, probably in my life, I think this year. Uh, So thank you for bringing it up now. I appreciate it. Uh, I feel great about everything. What's the tweet, the viral tweet that's like me at 35? I have my whole life ahead of me. Sports (laughs) announcer. He's 30. It's a miracle. He's playing. (laughs) He's the oldest player in the league. He's 35. A medical marvel. Yeah. Like it's. Yeah. It's yeah. uh, it's going to hit like a truck. Well, thank you, Jay. This was fantastic. Uh, I'm really curious to see how these guys play. And the Pacers are back next Monday. We'll be talking more preseason and looking ahead at the Hawks ahead of that game on Monday show. Where can people follow you and your work, both tweeting about the Pacers and covering other things in the sports world? Yeah, absolutely. I do a lot of Pacers tweeting during the season. It's at jrigden 5 on Twitter or X, whatever. I still call it Twitter. It's no, still I call it Twitter. Me. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, and then I, uh, if you're into... Uh, golf at all. I edit the Friday newsletter a few times a week. Definitely give those guys a follow. And then I still do some work with awful announcing and the comeback over there. And yeah, be keeping track of the team all season. Awful announcing is great. Cover covering media is, is so interesting to me. I, at first I was like, <laughs> huh, I didn't know that was a thing. And now I'm like, wow, I'm very invested in this as a, as a person in this industry. Uh, looking forward to more coverage of Pat McAfee, who had an interesting day <laughs> on Thursday. Thank you all a ton for listening today. Back Monday, like I said, talking more preseason Pacers hoops. Tell then, everybody, have a fantastic weekend.